What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 62 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for, uh, Sept- Oh my god. Uh, I just realized, I didn't even think about this, because that's how unimportant these things are to me. It is September 2nd. Uh, my birthday today is, uh... Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday, dear Josh. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you, Mike. That was very kind of you. Yeah, I'm 29 <laughs> years old. As of today, old as shit. Don't worry, Mike. It's coming for you too, buddy. Yep. 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 When, when's yep. your birthday? May 2nd. Oh. So you're so you're uh so you're only 28 still, right? Yep. Okay, yeah, so you got a, you got a few uh, more I'm, pr- I'm a pretty young-looking 28, I have to admit, though. I mean, I've seen some people who are younger than me who look like they're twice as old as I am. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very so, young-looking 29 yeah, as well. I'm going to have a... I agree so. I'm gonna have a I Math- agree with that. Yeah, I'm going to have a Matthew Broderick thing going on <laughs> for a good while, I hope. Uh, I stay, I've stayed out of the sun. Uh, I did drink a lot in for like four or five years but i have since stopped that mm-hmm. i only drink very uh, uh like very scarce sparingly now. yeah sparingly there you go. that's the word i'm looking for my brain hasn't kicked in today yet but yeah i don't know you know it's like another year man it's just i birthdays just fucking suck after 25 i mean there is just <laughs> no reason to have them there's nothing to look forward to after 25 uh, uh, I, I still get stuff from my parents, so you know. Well, so I think for most, there's a reason for me to look forward to it still, but yeah, I yeah, th- I, I, I get your point. I, I think understand. For most people, it's kind of like, uh, well, my parents like they they can't af- like I know like if I ask for something, they'd probably get it for me, but I'm not gonna even ask for anything because like I know financially they can't even really afford anything, and it's like I'm already mm-hmm. like on my own in every other way, so it's like, might as well not, you know, bleed them. They've already given me so much, you know, growing up, so it's like, you know, fuck it. But yeah, it is it's it is what it is, man. My whole big thing about birthdays is it's a time of self-reflection for me, and uh, I definitely, um, you know, I definitely want to be successful in some creative avenue of my life by the time I'm 30, so I have one more year to get that done, pretty much. Uh <laughs> Almost at 700 subscribers on YouTube, <laughs> which actually was a milestone for me. Like when I started out, I had never thought yeah. I would get to that that high of a number. Well, I never thought I'd ever get to 11,000. So yeah, but I mean, this podcast has definitely been a big uh, boost to my yep. confidence, to my uh, uh, just ego. <laughs> not not ego, but just feeling like feeling like yeah, I know. I, have I, a, I was just I have messing. A, yeah, I feeling like I have a voice uh... that people can hear and want to hear, and so this has been definitely it's helped me, you know, mentally with the whole yeah confidence. Like, you know, it's a good self esteem boost. Yeah, so I want to thank everybody yet again for listening and and tuning in every week and all that and uh, whatever. How you been doing, Mike? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Uh, well, the visit to the podi- podiatrist. Oh, uh, thank God. Another, word. another, to- all right, folks, settle in. We got a toe update here. Get ready. 
So I went to the podiatrist, uh, the toe, another a fancy word for toe doctor, and uh, he said that it might not even be ingrown or anything. He just said maybe something got underneath the nail and some infection happened. Uh, the antibiotics killed it off. He says, wait a couple months and see what happens. It might just grow out and be fine. Uh, I also had him check out this pesky corn I had in the side of my foot for years. And I tried all these different things to get rid of it, but nothing seemed to ever work. So he goes in and forgive me, I'm, folks, I'm going to... Cringe. I want to apologize ahead of time for any of your cringing or your uh, gagging you might experience. Put down the fucking oh. hot dog if you if you're eating a hot dog <laughs> if if you're eating cottage cheese. Put it down. Just put it down. Uh, so he he just went in with a with a sharp instrument like a scalpel or something. He started scraping some of the dead skin off and stuff like that. And then out of the blue, he's like. There's something in here. And apparently my cat also thinks that's interesting. <laughs> Your cat's even disgusted. <laughs> so it's like, there's something in there. And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> what is in there? Like, it's like a piece of wood or something. Like a splinter. So apparently... There was a piece of wood or a splinter that somehow got in the side, like on the bottom of my right foot. And it, and I've had this problem for years. So my guess is that this is something that is, I've had, I guess, happened years ago. And my body, in order to deal with it, it just healed, a, had a callus form over it, which is a natural thing. But I just assumed it was a corn, which, by the way, who the fuck came up with that term? It's nothing like corn at all. Like when you get these things on your in your foot, like does it does it it doesn't look like corn? I, I don't understand that. It definitely gave corn a bad rep because corn's de yeah. delicious and a bunch of useful things are made from it. And to give and to name a disgusting thing that happens to your foot after a delicious vegetable is kind of fucked up. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, he took it out, and my the bottom of my foot has never felt better. So I wish yeah. there was an equivalent of that to to your brain to like mental yeah. illness. Like I wish there was. I wish the doctor could look at like like my head had like a hinge on it. He could flip open the lid of my <laughs> skull and look at my brain. And go, oh, that's why you've been having really bad OCD and anxiety your whole life. You, you got, got a brain splinter. You got a little marble <laughs> stuck in here from when you were five years old. Here, let me just get that out. All right. And yeah, now all your problems should be solved. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Now I give a shit about living again. <laughs> oh, that was really dark, folks. Sorry. Sorry I let you into my world a little bit there. You can uh, you can exit my world if you if you want. I feel bad for anybody. Like, if this is their first episode listening. Uh, our This does not represent our podcast at all. <laughs> Well, no, it's no, just it's just, it's just it's just a small talk part portion of it. Well, you know, actually, it's, it I just realized this is this is totally and faithfully represents exactly what our podcast is about. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you don't like this, then you're not gonna like any of the other ones. Uh, yeah, I think the small talk's been in there since day one. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's it. The podiatrists. Do you think? Do you think podiatrists have foot fetishes? They'd have to on a certain level, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I, mean, I would I'm, hope not. Uh, is, is is fetish always sexual? Yeah, usually. 
Okay. I don't know, man. If you're, if you're, I mean, I know this is kind of like a hacky, like Jerry Seinfeld, like 1990s bit right here, but it's like, you know, you literally like grow up going like, I love feet. I want to what work with feet. What is up with these podiatrists? What's up with these podiatrists? They want to work <laughs> with feet their whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's true, though. Like, that's a very specific you know, genre well, I'm, glad, field. I'm glad that there are podiatrists because other doctors might not necessarily know the foot as well as they do. So they take a look at something that's going on with your foot or your toe and they'd be like, oh, it's just this. And then you do all that stuff and it doesn't really fix it. So then when you go to a podiatrist, then they're like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it's just I mean, that really was a lot. That was a huge relief for me. That the the other toe wasn't really that bad. He was just like, eh, just just soak it three times a week and just wait. I think it I think it should be good. Looks Did like you it's... hear him muttering the words "pussy" under his breath at any point? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. Um, yeah. Again, in comparison of the uh, podiatrist specializing in feet instead of just going to a general practitioner for this stuff. Uh, I would highly recommend that people do not go to a mental health counselor if they got some serious mental issues. They should yes. instead go to a psychologist psychiatrist. or psychiatrist. psychiatrist. Either yes. one of those, because I Therapist. I went to one of the I went to a mental health counselor recently, and I told him my problems, and he sat there and blankly stared at me and acted like I had three fucking heads growing out of me. So. Uh, I don't recommend if uh, you're feeling insecure and you want to talk to somebody, I don't recommend going to a mental health counselor because they don't even have to get the same degree that a uh, psychologist has to get. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was something that happened at, at one point that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, whatever. But uh, I'm doing all right now, though. Sleep has definitely returned back to normal. And I guess I'm going to my parents house tomorrow to celebrate my birthday and uh you know, whatever life goes on, you know, get crunked. Uh, no, no, not really. <laughs> I'm I'm too old to go out and get wasted. I mean, gonna get turned, gonna get turned up. I mean, I know people <laughs> who like to go out and do that shit, and like, I don't know. I think if I spent my life, if I had spent my twenties, like investing my time in building friendships and building relationships and going out, and all, I think I'd have a large network of people who would be like, oh no, dude. You are going out for your birthday tonight. But I instead chose to invest my time in writing songs, making a YouTube channel, uh, making a podcast, uh, just doing that uh, instead of uh, making friends. So, you know, one of the drawbacks. You make it sound so sad. I know. I know, (laughs) right? I have to live with this. Like, I have to live in this body. How do you think I feel? But, like, to me, though, it's like so much more satisfying to do what I am doing instead of the friend route, because I mean, good Lord, you know, friends, they just don't stick around, man. It's like every year for me, I lose friends and gain new ones. And it's like a fucking draft, you know, every year. OK, who's going to get drafted into Josh's friends list this year? Who's going to make the cut and who's going to get booted? You know, so, you know, <laughs> who's going to get traded. Who's going to get cut from the team? Yeah. So far, Mike has uh, stayed in the in the mix, you know. So good for good for you, man. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad th- to be there. What what a reward! <laughs> you know what what a prize. 
So this podcast so, is based on a show called Unsolved Mysteries that we grew up grew up loving, and now we're going to talk about some of it. But before we do yeah. that, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, yeah, there's uh, you get the podcast early. We've just we just got the schedule fixed. So what I think it's going to be like is uh, the early podcast Patreons will get it on Sunday, and then everyone else will get it on Monday. So you get it a day early for the $3 tier, and then there's other perks and whatnots. Um, And the reason why, for those of you who might not get it or haven't really... uh been keeping up on some things the reason why things have been have changed schedule wise it's all my fault yep i'm going back to college so saturdays work the best for me honestly they're working better for me because i'm not having to to rush the end of the podcast because i have to go to some karaoke gig the gig that i have tonight trivia yeah or trivia which i actually recently quit my trivia gig on tuesday because i want i i quit it just so i would have an extra day off during the week for me to focus more on YouTube and more on huh. doing creative shit. Have you thought about uh, setting up a VidMe account just no. as a backup? No, I haven't thought about it because I, I just, I feel like there's no traffic Because a friend there. of mine, a friend of mine just had his account suspended, terminated just randomly for spam, spam and misleading content. Oh, really? And he didn't really post a lot of spam or anything like that. So, and that's happened before with other channels. So, and YouTube with this whole stuff that's been going on with things, they've been going, they've been going downhill lately. So, yeah, it's up to you. But yeah, I created a backup one just in case. How the? But anyway, fuck? nobody wants to hear about our fucking YouTube drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No one. So yeah. let's get to the nitty gritty, the meat of this podcast. The cases. Let's get to some fucking bundenton denton 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 denton. So you made it kind of almost sound Mexican there for some reason. video. So anyway, the case that I picked out for this week is the case of Lisa Bishop and the Freedon, not the Freedom. The Freedon. The Freon, the stuff you inhale to get high. <laughs> People do that? I thought I, I thought don't that know. was like the stuff that's inside your refrigerator that could kill you or something. You're probably <laughs> right. Nobody inhale Freon, please. It doesn't I don't know if it, <laughs> there's no studies to show that it gets you high. So don't go out and try that. This is just an example of me probably speaking out when I shouldn't have. <laughs> In January of 1989, Falcon jets from the United States Coast Guard searched the old Bahama Channel in the Caribbean for an 82-foot freighter called the Freedon. The ship was on its way to Haiti, but had been reported missing. On board were seven Haitian crew members, a young sea captain, and a 23-year-old American journalism student named Lisa Bishop. Lisa's mother, Linda Bishop, said that Lisa had called her to say goodbye in the morning of her departure. I could feel something was wrong. Mother's intuition. I guess you could call it. Lisa was to call me when she arrived, and that call never came. Lisa wanted to write an article about the contrast between the wealth of America and the economic devastation of Haiti. Her voyage on the Freedon was a chance of a lifetime, even though it meant leaving behind her boyfriend of three years, Paul Cornwell. He's quoted here, We had a long discussion about the night before she left, 
and that she had to make her own decisions in life, that I couldn't follow her and take care of her wherever she went. Now, the reason why Mike is talking with that slight accent is because this character, Paul Cornwell, he looks, well, he looks like a white trash Phil Collins. <laughs> I mean, this, I love that. this guy is... Uh, white a, trash Phil Collins. What would white trash... White trash Phil Collins's music sound like, Josh. Uh, yeah, you know, just um, God damn it, man! I I need, I need time to cultivate that masterpiece. I can't just I can't just spit out that kind of gold. White trash Phil Collins. <laughs> but that's how this guy looks like. Uh, like if if Doctor Phil and Phil Collins had a kid and he was raised in Louisiana, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Um, so somewhere between Miami and Haiti, the Freedon simply vanished. No one has any idea what happened or why. People have suggested everything from pirates to smugglers and even the mysterious Bermuda Triangle. Lisa's voyage began when she made a, met a 28-year-old German national named Florian Meyer Borsch at a nightclub owned by her boyfriend. Florian was a marine mechanic and a sea captain who had sailed throughout the Caribbean. Now, this guy, he's got the long hair. He looks like he walked straight off the cover of a, a romance novel. Yeah. He doesn't really look like a guy who would be that much of a problem, but apparently there's a side to him that is not really that trustworthy, and there's some kind of a criminal sort of past of this guy. I also love so. the uh, the scene in the in the reenactment. They show kind of the, the, the club where Lisa met this guy, and yeah. they first show this guy on stage playing this rock guitar, and all everyone's dancing. And I'm just, I was just like laughing to myself that like the sh they're actually showing a club where a rock band is playing and people are dancing. Like how dated... <laughs> is is that shit because nobody gives a fuck about rock anymore and they especially don't go to a club and dance to rock music i mean it would be a glorious time in my life if i could grow up where that was a reality but unfortunately it isn't oh and by no. the way for anybody keeping track uh lisa bishop is totally hot yeah she is on the babe meter she's a nine swing swing <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so her voyage began when she met Florian, and Florian was a marine mechanic and a sea captain who had sailed throughout the Caribbean, according to Linda Bishop. She's quoted here. From what I've learned about him, Florian is a drifter, and he sponges off of people. Freeloads. Florian the freeloader. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It's really weird. You don't hear about a lot of German freeloaders. No. A year after their first meeting, Florian told Lisa of an upcoming voyage from Miami to Haiti. He invited her to join him. Paul was upset when Lisa told him that she had planned to sail to Haiti with Florian. I think a perfect... If you did, like, a movie of that... You, you should... You should, they should uh, I'm just cracking up thinking about this. This is why I can't speak right now. And yeah, Lisa, you should cast... You, you, should, you should totally come and see with me, and we can sail the Caribbean together. Look at my long blonde hair, yeah? Aren't you turned on by my perfect chiseled abs and pink nipples? Okay, Hans. <laughs> so, uh, I was thinking somebody should cast Tommy Wiseau from The Room. Have you seen those clips? I've seen the clips, yeah. Yeah, what? cast Tommy Wiseau as uh, Florian. 
Uh, yeah. That would be just absolute gold. What the fuck is that guy's problem, Tommy Wiseau? What? What is? What is he? What nationality? What is? What is his deal? What's? I don't know. <laughs> Mike has no answers. I know. I have no idea. I know, like ten percent of people listening even know what we're referring to right now. But All I know is that he did not hit her. <laughs> if you guys can go on YouTube and search the room uh, clips, like the movie The Room. Uh, do yourself that favor if you want a good hearty laugh. And, and what's crazy too is the the girl's name in the move in the room is Lisa too. Oh, so, wow. you're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just this is some of the worst acting, uh, worst writing. Uh, just pretty much everything about it shouldn't exist, but it does. <laughs> so. Um, a year after their first meeting, Florian told Lisa of an upcoming voyage from Miami to Haiti. He invited her to join him. Paul was upset when Lisa told him that she planned to sail to Haiti with Florian. I didn't trust him with Lisa. Of course, I was concerned about Florian, you know, being a young guy. And she tried to tell me that there was nothing to worry about. There was nothing romantic. I tried to discourage her as her parents tried to discourage her from going. Yeah, and as as he should be discouraging her because white trash Phil Collins over here is like looks like he's in his late 30s. He has this uh cul-de-sac balding male pattern baldness going on. He's uh, uh, He's way out of her league. The hair that he does have is this like long stringy dirty blonde hair going around like if Dr. Phil just let himself go and's like Fuck it, I'm not listening to people's bullshit anymore. I'm sitting in my trailer and drinking my beer. And he just, like, let his I, hair grow out. That's how... I would totally watch that reality show. <laughs> if it was just Dr. Phil after he just said, Fuck it, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm just gonna sit here in my trailer and just drink beer and smoke weed. One day, he, I swear, man, he's just going to be on his show one day and like uh, the vein, that vein in his forehead is just going to blow and he's just going to turn to his guests and be like, oh, I got a good idea. How's about you shut the fuck up and get the fuck off my stage? We'll be right back. And then he like grabs his dick and they just like get it with his one hand. He flips the camera and, off with his and, other hand. And if any of you have a problem with that, I got two words for you. Suck, Suck it. it. <laughs> I'm going to Oprah's mansion, doing a bunch of blow. Then I'm buying a mobile home out in Kentucky, and I'm just gonna <laughs> fucking drink me some sarsaparilla until the good Lord calls me. I know you don't like Mad TV, but I think you would get a kick out of the Doctor Phil parodies. Michael McDonald does a perfect Doctor Phil, and the majority of the parodies is just like a Doctor Phil who just doesn't give a shit. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, there'll be people on the show, and he'll just break character and just my favorite, tear people down. My favorite is, so it's it, great. is Bill Burr's description of Dr. Phil. He's like, Dr. Phil looks like a crooked cop. <laughs> <laughs> he does, a like Gary Gitchell. Inspector <laughs> <Yeah>. Gitchell. <laughs> he was talking about on his podcast, Dr. Phil just <laughs> banging someone in the back in the green room and how he probably leaves his shirt and and tie on and he only like lowers his trousers and he leaves his like his, <laughs> his uh, fancy shoes on and he's just like oh yeah you want to meet oprah i can make that happen it was, it was fucking hilarious dude like yeah he does look like a crooked oh, cop <laughs> so yeah so uh lisa's mom didn't trust him She's quoted here. I didn't trust him with Lisa. Of course, I 
That was no, that was actually Paul again. But Bill Bishop, Lisa's father, said that there was no talking Lisa out of it. I expressed my feelings about it, that I didn't want her to go or anything, and Lisa was a very headstrong girl when she made her mi- up her mind to do something. No, it's called being young and dumb and in your early 20s and, you know... Yeah, I mean, Haiti? Did she, I mean, Haiti was one of the most impoverished countries back then and one of the most dangerous places anybody could possibly go. She's extremely vulnerable in a situation like this. She doesn't know what she's getting into. And Haiti is dangerous for anybody of any nationality, anywhere. Any race doesn't matter. It's one of the most dangerous places in the world. And it was back then. And it still is. And and maybe it's maybe it's gotten better. I don't know. I'm just going from what I, I've, I've read and things like that. So she decides to take the boat, the Freedon, to Haiti. She was also doing this because she was writing an essay or something or some kind of not an essay it was a it was a paper for her college degree because i think she was trying to get a degree in journalism so on the morning of december 17th 1988 at 2 30 in the afternoon tugboats eased the freedon through the miami river on its way out to sea the Freedon's planned route would take the ship 600 miles past the coast of cuba to guanamese a small port on the western coast of Haiti. There were no storms and no distress calls, but the Freedon never arrived. When Lisa didn't call on Christmas Day, her family became concerned. Lieutenant Commander Jeff Caranis was with the U.S. Coast Guard, and he's quoted here. The relatives of the people on board kept calling us, asking us for information. We kept in touch with the port authorities in the various ports in the Caribbean area, and likewise down in Haiti. We sent several search and rescue flights in the most commonly traveled areas in the Old Bahama Channel, which is the area between the United States and Haiti. Still, it was unsuccessful. Linda Bishop and her husband traveled to Miami. We came to Miami hoping to maybe get some answers from some of Florian's friends, or just find anything that we could. We were desperate. Finally, finally, Lisa's parents received a promising lead. An underwater salvager named Bob Nyberg said that he had seen the ship two weeks after it was supposed to have disappeared. So I thought this, this case is particularly interesting because you not only have a woman who goes missing, but an entire ship also goes missing. So he's quoted here, and there's one part of his quote here I, was, I thought it was actually kind of funny. I remember that while I was working in the Grand Cayman in January of that year, there had been a boat that came in. We were working underwater directly in the harbor area where the ships pulled up and tied up. And when I heard the ship coming in, we came up, and as I was coming out of the water, we looked back and noticed that the name was Freedon. F-R-E-E-D-O-N. And I made a statement to my friend that those guys need their freedom. They can't even spell the word. They were there for some time that afternoon. The next morning, the boat was gone. I, I just thought it was kind of funny. It was like, those guys need their freedom. They can't even spell the word. Well, we were going to buy the uh, Freedom boat, but that was a little too expensive. So we bought the Chinese knockoff Freedon and just went with that. <laughs> so Nyberg saw that Freedon saw the Freedon in the Georgetown Harbor on Grand Cayman Island over 500 miles from Haiti. It was the kind of news that Linda Bishop had been hoping for. 
The fact that the ship was spotted and that it had not gone down brought me hope that Lisa was alive and had to be held against her will in order for her to not contact us. Lisa's boyfriend, Paul Cornwell, Collins. and Bob Nyberg went to Grand Cayman to pursue the lead. They met a number of witnesses who claimed to have seen Florian around the time that Nyberg spotted the Freedon. Florian sounds like a fucking name of some kind of drug, like Flonase or something, to me. Um, uh, and Mike, the actually, that's a very common German male name, so you're offending our five German listeners right now. It is? Yeah, it is, actually. It's a very common German name. So uh, I had, I had no idea. One moment, Mike. I have to apologize for you. So meine Deutschen, wir es tut mir leid für Mike. Very good, Josh. Very good German. Apparently, Florian was not alone during his mysterious visit to Grand Cayman. Some saw him with a short man with black hair. I love it. It's just it's it's that vague. It's just a short man with black hair. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be, uh, that, that is only relegated to everybody almost in the entire world, but okay. It could be Tom Cruise, for all we know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a short man with black hair. Yeah, well, pep, salt and pepper hair now, I would think. No, he probably dies. Probably it. so. Paul returned to Atlanta and questioned a woman who had been storing Florian's personal belongings, where he found a picture of the man seen with Florian in the Grand Cayman. The woman said his name was Philippe. Paul later found out that it actually was Philippe who had chartered the Freedon. The girl told me that he had mentioned that he was involved in a large-scale smuggling thing, in a large-scale large smuggling thing, and that something had gone wrong. I, I love how they're like that nondescript about it. A large-scale smuggling thing. Yeah. And that something had gone wrong, and that they had gotten involved in something too deep, and Lisa didn't know about and she couldn't handle it. And I feel that if Florian is out there, eventually I'll find out about it and I'll locate him. Authorities believe that Florian Meyer Borch is the key to the Freedon's disappearance. Now, the segment did a really great job showing the Freedon and everything. Like, they actually had a beaten down old weathered boat. And they put the Freedon on the side of it and everything. And they shot a lot in location. Yeah, they added a lot to the... They definitely had a budget at this point in the show to work with. Absolutely. So, this case first aired on the October 17th, 1990 episode. It's on Season 3 on Amazon Prime. The case is still unsolved. There have been several reported sightings of the Freedon over the years. However, none of these sightings have ever been confirmed. Family members of the Haitian crew members have stated that they have not heard from the crew since 1988. Florian Meyer Borsch's parents have also stated that they have not heard from his since the 1988 disappearance of the Freedon. Although though this suggests that the Freedon may have actually sank, no trace of it has ever been found. Because when the guy was saying that he saw the Freedon that one time, it looked like it was being used as a smuggling ship. Like people were smuggling stuff aboard it. Well, it kind of looked like that was how it was anyway. It was like a ship that was smuggling stuff into Haiti like bicycles and all this other kind of stuff that we would look at as junk. But in people in Haiti, that, that's a big deal. That, those are some really great things. That's, that's, those are hot commodities for the, for the Haitians around that particular time period. I mean, the, you, you know, like the, the, the thing I think about is like, 
they sent out these search parties and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, the United States, a country with like rules and regulations and processes to go through to uh, pursue missing people and, and kind of bring people to justice. I, a lot of those systems, I feel like in, in countries like Haiti are just not there. And if somebody wants uh, to capture a foreigner and make them disappear, they can just do that. And really, there's nothing the United States can do about it. That's why it's so dangerous to put yourself in those situations in other countries. I mean, hell, look at the guy in North Korea who tried to, like, take uh, one of the little... Uh, that he was, it was like a souvenir. Yeah, he tried to take a souvenir, and then the uh, North Korean government ends up capturing him. I think he was an American guy, wasn't he, or a Canadian yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they end up capturing him. Then they, they eventually... He might have been Canadian they, or not. They, I, uh, I don't remember for sure. They put him to death. And he's dead. I don't, think they put, I don't know if they put him to death. Is that, sure. They just arrested him. No, he's dead now. I'm pretty sure. But either way, I don't know. either way, it's. I, like, I thought there was one where they just arrested him right, and God had him it. in prison for Here, a while. I'll, I'll look it up. And then he was recently released. I could be completely wrong. Maybe that's a different person, a different. Uh, God guy damn, who souvenir is a hard Korea. word to spell. <laughs> And also, when it comes to stuff like this, you deal with pirates, you know, smugglers who come in and the, the like the Somali pirates and stuff like that. There are Haitian pirates who come in and commandeer boats and take them. So that's a possibility. That could have happened. Uh, pirates could have came in. And no, they're not like, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You made these. No, that's that's not the type of pirates that are that are around in uh, areas like Haiti and Somalia. Uh, these are like the pirates you might have seen in the film Captain Phillip, Captain Phillips with uh, Tom Hanks, where Tom Hanks's boat is taken over by these pirates, and I'm the captain now. So that's possibly what could have happened here. The pirates could have taken over and then killed everybody on the boat and then just stole the boat. And their bodies were dumped into the sea. And that's why you can't find the bodies and more than likely never will. The fact that everyone, including the Haitian crew, has not been heard from since 1988, that leads me to believe that none of them are alive. Yeah, no. And yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they put them to death. But they did a bunch of bad shit to them, though, let me tell you. Just not going to go into it. Did they cane him like that one guy who got arrested Back in, the, the 90s? in the 90s? In the 90s, yeah. No, I, you had to pay like a really, really big fine, though. See, I just wanted to make sure, you know, we double check that because that's what I remembered. I don't remember them like killing him. Look, like, that I hear things. I hear half. That could have been like an act of war right there. That That's not. I, I hear half truths and I hear I hear half baked information and then i go out into the world and i perpetuate it like it's fact that's what i do mike you know i mean what's the big deal about that there's no harm that could come from it that's a complete lie. i don't really have anything else to say about the freedom and lisa bishop except uh it's really too bad that her and everyone else on the boat have more than likely perished and may they all rest in peace the whole thing that strikes me about it is the whole like like romance angle kind of like here's this german adonis 
who comes out yeah. who comes out of nowhere and he like almost like seduces this young American girl to go on this crazy adventure and it's in the name of journalism so she goes and who knows yeah. what kind of like romantic like uh fucking uh uh what's it Fabio-esque Titanic at standing at the uh, front of the ship with her arms held out and shit who knows what kind of stuff like that went on I want to hear your rendition of uh, a song okay, by so, White Trash so Phil, Phil Collins, Collins ha- sometime. Phil Collins has a song called Something Happened on the Way to Heaven. This guy might have a song called Something Happened on the Way to the to the Trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that, what would he sound like? Um, you know, like How many times was to say I'm sorry? You can run and you can hide, but I'm not leaving unless you come with me. We had our problems, but I'm on your side. I don't know, maybe something like that. You got to give me time to write these things out, Mike. I'm not so he sounds like a country singer, pretty much? Yeah, you know, because, I mean, country singer. He'd be right at home with Florida Georgia Line, oh, one of your God. favorite bands. They're not even a country band. They're a pop, hip-hop uh, with, uh, with a country accent band. I don't even consider them country. Do people actually go on your karaoke and be like, play that Florida Georgia line? You know, honestly, I don't have a lot. <laughs> I don't have a lot of like gigs like that with like country folk. Thank God. You know, in the South, you would <laughs> think that I would have like all these like rednecks. But the, but there, there's actually like the rednecks are kind of quarantined to certain bars uh, and, and they're not just all over the place. There's like areas of mm-hmm. town where they're just not really rednecks at. And that's kind of where i try to stay um and i do a lot of like quote-unquote urban rooms so there's a lot, like a lot of hip-hop and stuff like that and there's definitely no rednecks there which i'll take that i'll take that music over country any day of the week um i mean i i just i hate i hate country so much uh and they're all you know it's like they're white trash but they're like wealthy and they don't actually live how they sing. They're talking about like yeah. stacking bills of hay and working with their hands. And it's like, bitch, you live in fucking Nashville in a mansion. You get spray tans and artificial teeth whitening. You don't know the first thing about driving down a dirt road, <laughs> building a house with my hands. You know, like, shut the yeah, fuck up, no. you fucking phony. You fucking phony, and all these dumb rednecks are buying into it, going, there. see, that's what a little bit of chicken fried, cold beer on a Friday night. Don't get me started, goddamn. <laughs> Ugh. Hate country music. All right. All right, so, so going on uh, to the next case. Speaking of quarantine, <laughs> or stuff that should be quarantine, or stuff that should have never happened, uh, this is the case of Frank Olson. Now, I read about this in, a, I think it was like a book like that was just talking about random bizarre trivia and uh, apparently from what the book was saying he wasn't the only one that was exposed to this just absolutely oh no this was definitely a big thing that was happening um it- abhorrent atrocious uh secret clandestine drug testing by the american government after hearing about this story on unsolved mysteries it lended credence to every belief that I had that the government can and will snuff people out and silence people, and you'll never know what happened. 
it just confirmed everything I already kind of suspected about if the government well i mean we we knew about that with like danny castellaro and and stuff like that as well and then danny gordon uh the uh the uh with phil kentucky guy as well to a certain degree i mean he didn't die but you know if he Mm. kept going on with it he probably would have um but this like i said this confirms it in the early morning hours of november 28th 1953 a crowd gathered outside of new york's hotel statler A man had apparently jumped to his death from a 13-story window. The victim was later identified as a government scientist named Frank Olson. Olson left behind a wife and three small children. Brutal. His sons are now grown men and are still trying to find out what really happened to their father. According to Nils Olson, Frank's oldest son, Frank worked at Fort Detrick, Maryland, headquarters for the military's Biological Warfare Research and Development Program, also known as Germ Warfare. Quoting uh, the son here, he says, My father was a research scientist who was involved with germ warfare associated with the SO division, which stood for Special Operations. That was the most top-secret kind of research that was done out of Fort Detrick, and some of that research was being done in coordination with the CIA, end quote. Nils said that two weeks before... His death, his father went to a three-day conference with some of his colleagues and came home a changed man. Quote, the weekend after that meeting, my father was severely depressed. He felt he did something terribly, terribly wrong. And he told my mother he had done something wrong, but he couldn't tell her what. She asked him whether or not he had broken security, and he indicated that he would never do such a thing, but he felt that he had done something terribly wrong. When we later find out something terribly wrong was done to him. Frank's boss, Vincent Ruitt, told the Olsons he believed that Frank was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Ha! Been there before! Uh, Just before Thanksgiving, Ruitt told Frank to uh, go to New York for treatment. Or he took Frank to New York for treatment. In New York, Frank shared a hotel room with Dr. Robert Lashbrook, a CIA scientist. Eric Olson, another one of Frank's sons, said that nearly a week passed before they finally heard from their father, quoting uh, Eric here. My father seemed a little more peaceful than he had. He made a call to my mother to say that he was all right. They went to sleep fairly early, about 11. And the next thing we know from Lashbrook um, is that he was awakened by the sound of crashing glass, end quote. Frank Olson was dead at the age of 43. Investigators determined that he had either jumped or fallen to his death, something a young Eric Olson had trouble reconciling. Quoting Eric here, I remember as a nine-year-old, and actually for years after, I was completely stumped and dumbfounded by trying to resolve that alternative. There's a big difference between a fall or a jump, and I couldn't understand how either of them could have occurred. The night manager of the hotel, Armand Pastor, found Frank's death suspicious as well. I rushed out to find Frank Olson, eyes wide open, looking straight at me, trying to tell me something. He was definitely trying to speak, but there was nothing coming out but grumbles. He was in terrible condition. And I stepped back because now I had to find out where he came from. I looked up at the building. I finally saw a little movement out of a window shade. And then when I concentrated on that, I could see the window shade was stuck through a broken window. Armand said he immediately took the police to room 1018A. Quote, and here is Lashbrook sitting on a john in his skivvies and the police thought to question him. And I heard him say, well, all I heard was a crash. I walked around the room to look around. 
No, but nobody ever jumps through a window. They open the window and they go out, not dash through a shade in a sheer drape. You know, th there's no sense to that. I love this guy, Armand, too. He was a great interview because, uh, you know, his personality kind of shined through. I loved the phrase, and here is Lashbrook sitting on the John in his skivvies. I just love that slang, you know, <laughs> sitting on, he's yeah. just on the shitter in his skivvies. You know, I love, I love that, that old yeah, school. Yeah, you, you don't really hear people use skivvies very often and, anymore. And it's this kind of shit that I feel like would not make it into the new Unsolved Mysteries. Because no. I, I feel like they'd say this kind of stuff and the producers would be like, ah, the kids aren't talking like that anymore. People are going to hear that and be like, oh, ugh, in his skivvies, OMG, LOL, hashtag, you know, and they're not going to watch it. So like this, this is kind of, this is some of the kind of examples that I think of that just I just don't think would really make it into the new show because people would mock it and make fun of it when this is how this guy talks you know he's from a time where these kind of slang words were were more common for these kind of things and that's kind of the beauty of the show but i digress the olsons weren't told about the doorman's suspicions they were told simply that frank had a nervous breakdown and jumped out a window and they believed that for the next 22 years in 1975, a government commission was formed to investigate past abuses committed by the CIA. Among other incidents, the official report made mention of a scientist who had plunged to his death from a hotel room 10 days after being dosed with LSD. That scientist turned out to be Frank Olson. A year and a half later, the Olson family received a formal apology from President Gerald Ford and a check from the government for $750,000, which... In today's money, I mean, you might as well call that $2 million because we're talking about 75 here. Uh, or no, 76, actually. So, yeah, they, they were basically given enough money to where everyone was living comfortably. Um, I mean, it doesn't take away what happened, but, I mean, good Lord. that's that. When the government gives you that kind of money uh, for, you know, saying we fucked up, they know they fucked up. And yeah. that's that's hush money yeah. is what that is. That's exactly what well, that was. Well, I, yeah... But also, in a way, it's also, uh, what's the word? Uh, reparations. Yeah. Really. So the son, Nils Olsen. I mean, you could tell these are some Swedish motherfuckers or Norwegian or something. I mean, Frank Olsen. I mean, the last name Olsen is either Swedish or Norwegian or some kind of Nordic last name. And, and I mean, it was apparently very important to him because he names his son Nils, N-I-L-S. I mean, like, mm -hmm. my God, the guy might as well have been like, I am a scientist for the CIA. I'm going to name my son Nils and my other son Thad and my other son Thor. Um, just offended all of our <laughs> Swedish listeners. Or Norwegian. And the fact that I'm confusing you're, the you're, two is... You're just being Mr. Offensive today. Well, what the fuck is different from any other day, really? <laughs> um, so the son Nils, Nils Olsen recalled how he and his family met with then-CIA chief William Colby. Quote, as a result of meeting with William Colby at the CIA, we were, giving what, we were given what was supposedly a complete set of documents relating to the event of the last nine days of my father's life. We learned that he had gone to a retreat in Deep Creek Lake in western Maryland with a group of other scientists. The principle of the meeting was that they were going to be discussing ongoing research. But in fact, there were agents in the CIA who were meeting with them, who decided that they were going to give them each a dose of LSD without their knowledge or consent, and then see what their reaction was. That just, I, I 
there's no words really to express how just baffling that is. I mean, illegal. What did they think was going to happen? Really? They didn't know. I mean, LSD was a new substance back then, and they knew that it had mind-altering effects, but they, they had no idea. Now we know, because of, because of the hippies and all that shit that happened in the Apparently 60s. Apparently I'm allergic to that bullshit, because <laughs> well, <I> sneezed. <laughs> might be allergic to your cat as well. No, I'm not allergic to my cat. Um, That's one thing me and Mike have in common. Neither one of us are allergic to pussy. Oh, so that was so lowbrow. Why did you? <laughs> oh why did you have to say that, Josh? I was enjoying it, and then you said it, and now I just want to turn it off. Give this a one star review on iTunes. I am very offended. Here, let me type it right. I was very offended. Send. Okay, now my day is better. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, what the fuck? Why, yeah. why would you do this to, I mean, uh, there was this whole thing going around uh, at the time that uh, they actually did that to the water supply. They added a slight bit yep. of uh, LSD to the water supply. I believe it was in New York to see what, yep. what mass uh, drug interactions of this nature would have on This is people. the kind of stuff you think just happens in the movies, but no, this, this is reality. Yeah. This actually happened. Yeah, exactly. And and like I said, it just, I mean, does, and see, this is the funny thing, like, people think this shit don't happen now, but it does, you know, it's, it, it, fuck, it happens now, maybe not LSD, but if the government's, you know, if they're, they're hankering to do some uh, shady shit, they're going to do it. I mean, it, it might be in other countries. You know, or there might be some black ops dungeon here in uh, the United States that nobody knows about. You know, I mean, for every bit of technology we have that's like so sophisticated, the government pretty much has that times 20 at least. I mean, I was talking to a girl and she was telling me that she was ta- she was talking to this guy who worked for the government or some kind of security thing of the government. And he could actually go in on his computer and this was like a dating website called OKCupid. And he could actually go in to her messages, to her inbox, and see all the people that she had been talking to. And this Whoa. and this was not a matter of him hacking her password or anything Whoa. like that. He could just get into it somehow. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, for every little bit of technology us average Joe fuckfaces have, the government's got like... You know, they're not going to, like, have the same exact shit we have. Oh, yeah, you know, we we have the same, you know, whatever you guys have out there in the public, that's what we have, too. No, bullshit. It's probably easier for them now. In fact, it is more than likely easier for them now to do stuff like this. Oh, yeah. In today's day and age. I mean... Versus doing it back then. Wrong. As you can see, they were eventually caught, and then they had to pay reparations and repay the families and... And say, we're sorry, we fucked up. Yeah, I mean, like, if you consider in the 70s, you know, or the 80s. Uh, no, so, well, this actually happened in the 50s. I know, but I'm not talking about this. There was some president, no. I think it was, talk- I think, like, Nixon was making phone calls uh, on a telephone in, in an airplane on, on Air Force One in the 1970s. And that was that was like mind blowing. And then years later, everyone else, you know, they develop, they they kind of release that into the wild. But it's like they, the government gets all that shit first. 
All that shit, you know, you think it's so new and shiny? Yeah, they had that for 10 years before we actually get it. Because they got to make sure it's idiot-proof enough for the average person. So anyway, going back to the story here. The Olsons learned that the LSD was slipped into an after-dinner liquor by either Sidney Gottlieb, head of the CIA's technical services staff, or by his deputy, Dr. Robert Lashbrook. The CIA reportedly feared that the Soviet Union might use LSD on captured CIA agents. Gottlieb Gottlieb believed that his quote-unquote test would prepare American spies for that possibility. But that's not in a controlled environment. All that is is you're just giving them some drinks laced with LSD and just waiting to see what will happen. The laced drinks were served to eight of the ten scientists present. So at least two of them were smart enough to be like, "Ah, no, I'm not going to drink that. That, Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't use the word smart because how the fuck were they supposed to know that these trusted American officials were going to be poisoning them? You know, so eight of the 10 scientists took the drinks. Some of them, including Frank Olson, uh, were not warned about the test. So, okay, so some of them were and some of them weren't. So they were having a test, uh, a control here. The control was the two scientists that didn't drink anything. The others were told about the LSD and then some of the others were not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a controlled experiment. Right. So according to Nils Olsen, which is the son of Frank yet again, when Gottlieb told the group that their drinks had been spiked with LSD, his father became furious. Quote, we understood that my father was was quite agitated and was having a serious confusion with separating reality from fantasy, which I don't know if anybody's ever had a panic attack or if you've ever experienced that feeling, but that is a terrifying feeling. And this is uh, enhanced by LSD, so that's some pretty heavy shit. I mean, I'm a guy who has, you know, this kind of these kind of problems just just living a normal life. Like I'm having a bad trip just regularly. This guy actually took something that is, you know, inherent in your system to make this stuff happen. So no matter how much you want to wish it away, it's just not going to go away until the stuff. And it was probably uh, some of the purest form of LSD you could get because it's from the the government was able to obtain it and who knows what the dose was it seems like they don't even know what they're doing with this so they're just with lsd at this point they're just like ah fuck it just put in a whole vial in there yeah they're probably they're amongst the scientists they probably gave because they, they don't really know they don't really know how much to really give anybody So less than a week later, Frank made his fatal trip to New York, supposedly suffering from a nervous breakdown. Frank was taken to see Dr. Harold Abramson, an LSD expert. Okay, kind of a weird term. Yeah, man, come see me, bro. I'm an expert on LSD, brother. I can tell you all about it. He apparently worked extensively with the CIA. Accompanying Frank was Lashbrook and Frank's boss, Vincent Ruitt. Frank remained in New York and over the next several days made repeated visits to the doctor's office. Eric Olson says his family was dubious about the supposed treatment. Quote, It's impossible to deduce what was accomplished in those meetings. And certainly you don't see any indication that a treatment process was occurring. You can suspect that some kind of assessment process was going on, the process of which was more to protect the CIA's interests than it was to help my father. 
he's just a, a guinea pig, right? For them, that that's all he is. And and the government has done other things that are equally as upsetting. Uh, they actually entered syphilis, I believe, into a uh, African American community. If I remember correctly, uh, they've done stuff like this. It, it's just absolutely awful. It's it's atrocious. Well, that's why that movie Manchurian Candidate blows my mind so much because it's like I could totally see that being a real thing, like the government experimenting with mind control. I mean, they have done that from articles I've read. Uh, Nils Olsen said his father was exhibiting strange behavior. Quote, one of the nights that my father was up in New York, he was having delusions that he was hearing voices, and in the middle of the night, uh, he woke up and went and threw out all of his identification and all of his money. You know, fucking poor guy, man. Like, shit, you know? And he was like... He had a mental breakdown. He was normal Uh, before this. He was a normal, smart dude before this. And they turned him into this fucking nut. They probably gave him way too much. And you can do that on LSD. You, My dad, uh, who's like 60, I think 63, he, he has friends back from, uh, you know, back from the day who took too much of that shit and they never came back. They never came off their trip. They, they it, made, it made them go insane. Yep. Apparently, the pattern continued in the immediate aftermath of Frank's death. For some unexplained reason, Robert Lashbrook never phoned for help. However, according to Armand Pastor, Lashbrook allegedly did make a disturbing call, which was overheard by the hotel operator. Quoting uh, Armand here, he says, In those days, all the calls were manual. You call the operator and you tell her what number you want, and she would dial it for you. And then she listened to see that you got connected. When the man in the room called this number, he said, Well, he's gone. And then the man on the other end said, well, that's too bad. And they both hung up. I mean, what's more suspicious than that? You don't have to be a genius to figure out that something's amiss. Or Hamlet said, there's something rotten in Denmark. I don't get that reference, but he goes, I mean, there's something rotten at the hotel that night. So in 1990, yeah, yeah I mean. I mean, just the way that they're just like nonchalant about it. Well, he's gone. It's like a well, he's gone. it's like a code, you know, well, like the that's too mission bad. accomplished basically is what he's saying. And well no, I mean it just seems like they have no remorse whatsoever. Well, the point of that call is clearly not a oh my god, I got to tell somebody what just happened. It's a it's it was code. It was well, he's gone. It's, it's, you know, the our our experiment has ended. We we snuffed out the guinea pig and that was totally a message I, I don't know if they killed i think he killed himself he jumped out the window right well because of the trip that he was on well they want they he didn't want it couldn't end so he felt that the only way to end it or he or he was in the middle of his trip and it, it looked like the window was something else and that's happened many times that people have been yeah on well they willed that to happen LSD. they 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 set oh yeah they set him up in the you know the top floor of this hotel knowing he had these problems you know doing all this kind of irresponsible shit uh in 1993 frank's widow alice passed away eric and nils had their father's body moved to rest beside her but before frank was reinterred they asked forensic scientist james stars to f- perform an autopsy Quoting here, quite frankly, we had no idea what the condition of the remains would be after 41 years. We were delighted that the remains were in perfect condition for our analysis. As part of his overall investigation, Professor Stars and his colleagues 
went to the old Hotel Statler. The first thing that Professor Stars looked for was evidence that uh, Frank had indeed smashed through a window. According to Stars, the medical examiner in New York, who had done an external examination back in 1953, said there were multiple lacerations on the face and neck. At some point, he had to hit some glass. Oh. I cannot believe that he wouldn't have gotten cuts in the lower extremities of his body on the front of the legs. We don't find any cuts. Because obviously, mm. if you're jumping out of a window, at some point, your feet or your legs, your ankles, something is going to be... Something is oh. going to be scraping up against the bottom of that so glass. So maybe he could have already, like, had a overdose or something and died. No, and he, he, he wasn't dead because when he hit the ground, he wasn't dead. He, when he hit the ground, because Armand Pastor, the doorman, went outside and Frank's eyes were wide yeah. open and he was trying to tell him something and he died out on okay. the street. All right. So Eric, huh. Eric Olson, his son, said the new finding is further proof of a continued cover up. Quote, Soon after the finding was made public, Lashbrook changes his story. He's held this story for 40 years, and suddenly now he's saying that he can't remember whether the window, in fact, was open or closed. After years of research and investigation, the Olson family has become convinced that Frank Olson was murdered by the agents of the U.S. government. The Olsons believe Frank was silenced because he had become extremely critical of illegal, top-secret programs and policies of the CIA and U.S. government with which his own research group was deeply involved. Frank Olson's family hopes that someday the entire story will be exposed. Again, mm. it goes back to what I said. You know, you think that this shit doesn't happen, but it does. And, you know, you become too loud of a voice. And, well, they can't just snuff you out. But Frank Olson wasn't a loud voice. Mm -hmm. They saw, we can silence this guy before he creates any real trouble for us. So let's go ahead and do that. I guess I, I guess I was under the wrong impression. So I don't think he just jumped out the window. That definitely doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, but I I don't necessarily agree with he wasn't a loud voice either because remember he said he'd become extremely critical of their programs and policies. So that was probably meant that he was was talking, that he was raising a stink so to speak and they were all like well we don't like the the smell or the sound of this so they might have dosed him with lsd just to get rid of him that way because then they could be like well it was an it was a controlled experiment it went wrong he died we apologize here's some money But in reality, they 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 intentionally dosed him with a, a high dose of LSD to knock him off, to get rid of him. And then when he did that, didn't necessarily work. And they just had this unstable guy who had all these secrets that, in, in his unstable state, he could just blurt out any time. They just decided to kill him and, and cover it up and say he jumped out a window. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, at, the, uh, at the bottom of this uh, uh, Unsolved article, they have um, Eric Olson has set up a website regarding his father's unexplained death, and it's uh, www.frankolsonproject.com mm -hmm. or .org. I'm sorry, .org. There's also some extra information uh, I got from the Wikia. Uh, the segment originally aired on the September 25th, 1994 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. It's on season seven on Amazon Prime. Uh, this 
was not mentioned in the segment, but uh, Frank's daughter, Lisa, was killed in a plane crash in 1978 along with her husband and son. Wow. We don't know whether or not that was in, there's any sort of connection with Frank's death or not. We have no idea, no, no idea whatsoever, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of connection with that. Um, but that's just uh, assuming that's, uh, that's assumptions on my part right now. So further analysis by the stars and his team, by stars and his team, by the stars, (laughs) by the Dallas stars hockey team. By the star, by stars and his team showed that Frank had suffered blunt, for, blunt force trauma to his head before death in a state suggestive of, of homicide. Stars and the Olsen family now believe that Frank was struck on the head, knocked unconscious, and then thrown out the window of his, of his hotel room. I do believe, yeah, he fell out. He, he, he ended up going out the window, but I don't think he went out it willingly. Based on these findings, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office opened a homicide investigation into the case but there was not enough evidence to bring charges. In 2012, the Olson family filed suit against the U.S. government seeking compensatory damages and access to documents about Frank's death. However, the case was later dismissed. The Olson family remains convinced that Frank was murdered by agents of the U.S. government due to his criticism of illegal top-secret programs and policies. They hope that someday the full story will be revealed. I I don't see it being revealed. No. No. Maybe a hundred years from now, you know, when everybody involved is dead, they'll be like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, yeah, all that totally happened. When we have our first alien president by then, a hundred years from now. Reptilian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> all right, so... Um, yeah, if, we, if uh, me- that, that, that was, that's a particularly rough case, and it's one that you really feel for the family because it's one of those things where they will more than likely never get an an answer. Yeah. At least one that's truthful. And if we keep talking, and it also sticks with you because it's terrifying to imagine that the government, your government that you look to and look upon for support and to look out for your best interests could be capable of, of doing something like this to you or any anyone. Just just spike the drink with some drugs or something and see what happens. Yeah, if we keep talking about this, we're going to be erased as well, so we better... <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> this is in public this is in public domain this particular case so we talked about aliens already we talked about the Danny Casolaro case we talked about all this other stuff why did you have a slight Italian accent just then we talked about the thing we talked about Danny Casolaro I about don't it. know why oh, I don't know God. Casolaro right. oh Danny Casolaro ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um alright moving on it leads me to believe that Something like MK Ultra, which people said was just not real, like that never really happened. The thing with the video games and stuff like no, it wasn't. It wasn't MK Ultra. MK Ultra. That's what it was. MK Ultra was the name for the, the CIA's LSD program. Remember correctly, it was MK Ultra Mortal Kombat Ultra? <laughs> no, no. Let, let me look at this again. I want to double check because it does kind of connect into this. Test your might. Oh, it was a mind control program. Ah. Yeah, Project MK Ultra 
also called the CIA's Mind Control Program. It is a code name given to the program of experiments on human subjects, at times illegal, designed and undertaken by the United States' Central Intelligence Agency. Experiments on humans were intended to identify and develop drugs and procedures to be used in interrogations and torture, which is where you get LSD. MKUltra used numerous methodologies to manipulate people's mental states and alter brain functions, including surreptitious administration of drugs, uh, especially LSD and other chemicals, as well as hypnosis, sensory deprivation, and isolation and verbal abuse, as well as other forms of psychological torture. The scope of Project MKUltra was broad, with research undertaken at 80 institutions, including 44 colleges and universities, as well as hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies. The CIA operated through these institutions using front organizations, although sometimes top officials at these institutions were aware of the CIA's involvement. The, according to, as as U.S. Supreme Court later noted in CIA versus Sims, which is a, a court document, uh, this is they're quoted here. Concerned with the research and development of chemical, biological, and radiological materials capable of employment in clandestine operations to control human behavior, the program consisted of some 149 subprojects when the agency contracted out to various universities, research foundations, and similar institutions. At least 80 institutions and 185 private researchers participated. Because the agency fun- funded MKUltra indirectly, many of the participating individuals were unaware that they were dealing with the agency. The Freedom of Information Act was employed in 1977, and it uncovered a cache of 20,000 documents relating to Project MKUltra. And in July 2001, some surviving information regarding MKUltra was declassified. MKUltra was first brought to public attention in 1975 by the Church Committee of the U.S. Congress, and a Gerald Ford Commission to investigate CIA activities within the United States. Now, apparently, CIA Director uh, Robert Richard Helms in 1973 had actually ordered all of the MKUltra files to be destroyed, but the Church Committee and the Rockefeller Commission investigations, uh, something like that happened, and uh, and a lot of other stuff ended up surviving his destruction order. But not all of there were a lot of stuff that did get destroyed, though by uh, the CIA's uh, director at the time, Richard Helms. So, yeah, it, it does tie into it because uh, it was uh, really what they were doing. LSD, uh, they used other drugs like barbiturates, amphetamine. Uh, the, there was a technique thing they investigated with intravenous administration of barbiturate into one arm and an amphetamine into the other. The barbiturates were released into the person first, and as soon as the person began to fall asleep, the amphetamines were released. The person would then begin babbling incoherently, and it was sometimes possible to ask questions and get useful answers. Other experiments involved heroin, morphine, tamsapam, used under code name MKSEARCH, mescaline, psilocybin, soplamine, marijuana, alcohol, and sodium pentanol. A.K.A. Truth Serum. And they also use hypnosis, and apparently some people in Canada also decided to do it as well. Uh, I just wanted to briefly mention one other thing. This is what I was thinking of. MKUltra was also one of it, but uh, the urban legend of the video game Polybius. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, seeing the government doing stuff like this and what they did with the MKUltra, it isn't really that far-fetched to me that 
something like Polybius could have actually existed. I don't I don't know. I, I, I've seen a few videos on that and I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole because, you know, I'm not going down that rabbit hole either. But it's it's an urban legend. Yeah, there's nothing. There's a video game that was supposed to at all basically uh, test if if the government could mind control kids or program them from playing a video game. And it's, you know, the, the, it's interesting. It is interesting to read about. Um, so here is, uh, bring it back. Let's talk about some, let's talk about some, uh, news of the bizarre. Yeah, bringing it back down to earth a little bit here. Um, woman allegedly reports bad meth to police. Why don't you take this one, Mike? A 33 year old great falls woman reportedly called 911 to say that in her experience, methamphetamine should not be inducing the effects that the methamphetamine she had just ingested was currently inducing. I do meth three times a day, every day, and I've never had this reaction before. Marjorie Ann Daywriter. Oh, that's a perfect last name for that. I'm a daywriter. God damn it, you get off my land. I'm not a night rider. I'm a day rider. Damn it. I do math three times a day, every day, and I've never had this reaction before. Marjorie Ann Dayrider told a police officer who arrived at her home, according to the court documents. I love that. She actually calls nine. I'm just imagining what the phone call will be. Uh, is this 911? Uh, yeah. Did you dial 911? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, all me right. And my just double check Yeah, me and my husband, Dr. Phil, here, have been doing this methamphetamine in this trailer, and it ain't, it ain't fucking me up like it normally does. So, Daybiter reportedly called 911 on August 25th to report medical issues from injecting meth. Well, I guess it was fucking her up too much. When officers arrived at her home... Uh, day writer said she injected herself at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 3 p.m. Yeah, she is a day writer. Totally. Because <laughs> that's when she injects meth into her arm. According to the charging documents, she also produced some meth from inside her bra and handed it over to the police. Oh, my God. What a, what a winner. <laughs> I just, I wish I could be there to see that. It would be hard for me if I was one of those officers to... To keep a straight face. You know, when you when you run into that kind of thing where it's like, oh, I got some more, I got some more here. Here you go, officer. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, write down that again. That's even more methamphetamine uh, uh, yeah, on your uh, you know, record I'm, right now. I'm sorry, sorry that this happened to you. Um, uh, you do me a favor and put your hands behind your back for me and uh, turn around. Uh, you're being placed under arrest. <laughs> You dumb bitch. <laughs> Day Ryder was charged with criminal possession of dangerous drugs, a felony, and if convicted, she could be sentenced to five years in state prison and fined $5,000. This reminds me of a story, another dumb criminal thing I read in, in a book called America's Dumbest Criminals. And <laughs> this one was hilarious. This is a guy who called... To report that his weed was stolen. Nice. Proper. And of course they come in and they find other weed and stuff in his house and arrest his dumbass. Dude, just methamphetamine in general. It's like how creative did, did these people get where they were so tired of like alcohol and marijuana and like cocaine that they actually was like, 
oh, let me take some acetone, you know, nail polish remover. Let me take some lithium from batteries, some uh, brake fluid. Oh, let's throw in some uh, Sudafed. Ah, some red phosphorus might be nice. Ah, oh, sodium hydro hydroxide, why not? And some sulfuric acid. Let's mix all this shit together and smoke it. Uh, yep. <laughs> you got to be careful not to blow your head off, though, while you're uh, getting your meth together. Because meth, meth is, is really a... Making meth is an explosive, potentially explosive... Uh, experience do you think people and do you think people like uh can tell like there was a guy who actually killed himself it was on a thousand ways to die on spike tv what used to, it's not going to be spike tv anymore it's going to be the paramount network i didn't even know spike t i haven't had cable for over three years so a thousand ways to die is is what it is, is know, essentially uh, the darwin awards the show and that's great so this guy he is using this certain material to make his meth, and, and it's explosive. And he's also chewing gum. Well, apparently he misplaced his gum, and he had his gum sitting in this powder, which is explosive. He grabs the gum, chews it, and blows his head off. Nice. No more meth made by this fucking dealer. Meth is, is death. It really is. And a lot of other drugs are death, too, and they'll kill you. But meth really fucks you up. And one of the most shocking things I remember seeing when it comes to meth is seeing a before and after portrait of a, of a younger woman showing her before she started meth and then where she was just a few months or maybe, maybe a year or at most a year after just taking meth continually. And she looked like she had aged by 30 years. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you're putting all that, like, foreign bullshit in your body that, like, I mean, yeah, I know that, like, ranch is technically a foreign substance, but Jesus, it's at least made from edible like stuff like garlic and cream and stuff. Ranch isn't gonna kill me. <laughs> but but here, you're taking, like, lithium and... and uh, Cleaner and all this other fluid. fucking shit. Do you think the, the, the big meth has... Do you, do you think they know if you use, like, the off-brand brake cleaner? It's like, hey, buddy, you got the fucking CVS brand. I wanted the half brand break clear i can t taste the difference in this meth oh that's great that'd be a, a, a hilarious skit right there stop buying all the off-brand nail polish remover i need the vaseline brand or whatever the fuck we need stop buying the generic sudafed i need i, I taste it i hate it i hate the taste of it and then to have sudafed sudafed not Sudared, Sudated, <laughs> Sudafed. Sudated. Um, so yeah, that happened. Uh, like I said, America is not the dumbest country, but we do dumb pretty damn well. We do some dumb shit. Now, we'll end today's podcast with a little rundown of some crazy cryptids. Yes, I, I definitely want uh, to keep the uh, cryptozoological and UFO mysterious aspect uh, intact with this episode. So I, And somebody actually posted this on our Facebook group, with, which I'm surprised I've forgotten to plug. It's uh, You go to Facebook and you can uh, search for our group. Um, wherever you search for groups, you just search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, it's a cool awesome club almost to a thousand members um i you know i would have never even thought to start a group but the one thomas hatfield our moderator was his idea and it turned out to be a really good idea 
so yeah, you should join that, and then you can also like our Facebook fan page, which is uh, facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, so somebody posted something about cryptids a while back, and it just stayed in my mind. I was like, oh, you know what? It would be cool to do like a rundown of uh, these are the craziest humanoid cryptids by state. Um, now, if you don't know what uh, cryptids are, they're basically mythical beasts, uh, either called from local or indigenous folklore, um, or else they uh, have arisen from freaky encounters uh, by everyday citizens. Mm-hmm. They're basically the boogeyman incarnate. Um, I, I mean, I honestly think some cryptids are real. I think most are probably bullshit, but this is like... Yeah, like number one, I don't buy it. Yeah. It looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. It's super fascinating. Me and Mike will trade back and forth here. I guess I'll start with number one. Uh, so for the state of... <laughs> For the state of Alabama, we got the Hugging Molly. Um, this isn't Molly. I mean, look at the, the picture they have here. It looks like something out of Lord of the Rings or Warcraft. Yeah, Warcraft, I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's like a banshee. So, really. uh, Hugging Molly, uh, by the way, I posted this ar- this uh, article on the uh, Facebook group. So, if you want to see what mm-hmm. these things look like for yourself, you can go there now and, well, when you're listening to this and check it out. So, Huggin' Molly... First off, what kind of name is that? Like, it's supposed to be the scary, terrifying race? I don't know, but we got a, we got a lot of states to get through here, Mike, so, you know. I know. Huggin' Molly okay. originated from Abeville, where there's even a restaurant named after her. The legend goes that Molly appears to children at night. She grabs a hold of the kids, squeezes them tightly in her arms, and screams in their ears. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Jeez. She is purported to be seven feet tall and wears black clothing with a wide-brimmed hood or hat. That is honestly terrifying, dude. Yeah. Holy shit. Hugging Molly from Alabama. All right, Mike. Get a lot. Number two is this Squidward-looking motherfucker called the Qualapalic. From Alaska. And this is from Alaska. The Qualapalic are creatures from Inuit legend. They are said to have long hair, green skin, and long fingernails. The Qualapalic snatch away disobedient children and keep them underwater forever. Forever. Yeah, this squid looking, squidward looking motherfucker. It is a squidward looking motherfucker. <laughs> uh, or a very elderly woman. Um, I don't know which. It is terrifying though, but yeah, I'm calling bullshit on this one. That's probably one that was created as as a urban myth, yeah, a, a myth, a legend to scare the kids to behave. Yeah, that's basically the uh, uh, the German. Uh, was it a Krampus? That's basically the yeah. uh, Alaskan equivalent to that. Do you behave, or, or the Qualapotic is going to drown you? So that's Mike's. Stop being a brat. That's Mike's ambiguous Inuit accent. Gotta, I'm not trying to do an Inuit accent. You've got to applaud the attempt. Uh, in at number three for Arizona, we have the Mogollon Monster. The Mogollon Monster is Arizona's version of Bigfoot, said to roam around the Mogollon Rim in escarpment near the New Mexican border. Uh, the beast stands roughly seven feet tall, is covered in long, matted hair, and is re- reported to smell awful. Well, clearly. Uh wouldn't imagine him to smell good. What? 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 He doesn't bathe himself or in the river or anything. Just maybe he just has maybe he has IBS. I would maybe just, that's why he's so I angry. would just imagine daily maintenance. If your whole body was covered in hair, yeah. the dingleberry situation would not be good. <laughs> not be good at all. I'm just thinking, like, especially maybe he has irritable bowel syndrome or something. Maybe that's why he's so angry. Look, 
Oh, yeah. And if anybody are from these states and have heard any of these things, you know, like comment in our Facebook group or on our Facebook tip page and tell me if you actually have heard of this, <laughs> these ones that we're talking about, or if it's like, no, I've never heard of that. That sounds like bullshit. Number four is from Arkansas, and it's the Fook Monster. The fuck monster. No, <laughs> that's a whole different monster. Also known as the Southern Sasquatch, the Fook monster hails from the town of Fook in Arkansas, and I probably said it wrong. I don't. I don't know. I'm not from Arkansas. Sorry. Like the other Bigfoot-related cryptids, the Fook stands roughly seven feet tall, is covered in hair, and smells atrocious. That's a common theme with Bigfoot, with big feet apparently. <laughs> is that they smell atrocious? Uh, however, this Arkansas iteration is reportedly quite violent. The Fook provided the basis for the film The Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek. Have you even heard of that and, film? And, yes, I have, and I've heard of the sequel as well. Oh, <laughs> Human IMDB Boggy over Creek here. Two. The legend continues. Uh, his eyes are his eyes are kind of terrifying from this picture. Reminds me of the Mothman. Yeah, like a like a big more Mothman if he was more Bigfoot oriented and less uh, moth like. And at number five for California. We got uh, the Fresno Nightcrawlers, and just from the depiction here, it looks like a kid's drawing, but these things look pretty terrifying. It's basically just a head and legs. It's like the Thin Man if the Thin Man were just a head and legs. The Fresno Nightcrawlers are named so due to surveillance video that surfaced in 2008 uh, purporting to show a creature that appeared to be all legs. The creatures are believed to be the same as those spoke of in certain Native American folklore. Terrifying. Mm. That's pretty terrifying. I want to see this video now that uh, surfaced in 2008. Number six is from Colorado, the Tommyknockers. Now, that is a precious name. Yeah, it's a little Tommyknocker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just think of Stephen King when I think of Tommyknockers. I didn't know it was a, there actually was a urban cryptid uh, legend going around about actual Tommyknockers. Oh, what, what movie the, was, was that in by him? Uh... Stephen King's Tommyknockers is based on a book he did. Oh, that's an uh, that's called the Tommyknockers, oh. and they were like aliens. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Jam, right when you think you see all of Stephen King's movies, there's more pop up. It was like a TV miniseries or TV movie. I think that might be why you didn't see it. Ah, Tommyknockers are said to be tiny elf-like beings, or in Colorado, the spirits of dead miners. Well, here they just look like uh, Keebler elves to me. Yeah, nothing, nothing very scary about this at all. Who make knocking sounds to warn living miners of impending danger. However, other legends insist that Tommyknockers are mischievous entities who like to steal from miners or cause general but not deadly mayhem. So gremlins, essentially. Of course, Stephen King had his own take on the legend. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and it was aliens. <laughs> it, Which actually a lot scarier at number than a bunch of dwarves. <laughs> and at number seven for Connecticut, we have Melonheads. <laughs> this is pretty terrifying looking. It looks like a little innocent baby face with this gigantic testicle sack for a head or one testicle <laughs> at least turned on its side it's like something out of a david lynch movie yeah exactly uh one of the few cryptids with some genuine evidence supporting their existence the melon heads are also prominent in ohio and michigan they are said to be large-headed short of stature beings who are either shy and reclusive or malicious and aggressive depending on the legend some of their wilder origins surrounding the melon heads insist the beings are either government experience gone awry or human alien hybrids. Good God. So is that where the name for the that shitty candy called melon heads comes from? <laughs> is, is these 
I didn't know there was a candy creepy called looking things. Yeah, it's a it's a lemon candy. All right, moving on to Delaware. Awkward silence. <laughs> moving on to Delaware, which is number eight. We have the Muhue. The legend of the Muwe originates from Native American tribe, from a, the Native American tribe from which the state takes its name. Native languages describe the monster as such. The Muwe is a man-eating ice giant of Lenape legend, like the Wendigo of the Obijue and Cree tribes. Not many tales of Muwe were ever recorded, but like the better-known Wendigo, Muwe was a fearsome monster associated with starvation, cannibalism, and sin. A person who tasted human flesh or went mad from the cold might turn into a Muwe, or at least one Lenape legend, a Muwe monster that is treated kindly and given civilized food can eat and be turned back into a human. So, That's clearly bullshit then. Yeah. Although that is kind of interesting. That would make for a decent movie, like the whole sort of you become a cannibal and then you turn into this monster and then... Alright, so in at number nine, it's appropriate that it's my state that comes up here uh of course we all know is skunk ape uh this is one that unsolved mysteries has covered this is one i believe we've talked about um this almost needs no introduction it's like a pretty convincing picture i know that they might have just be makeup they have like a a real like almost like uh late 90s early 2000s camera snapping a picture of uh i don't know why i mentioned the fucking make of the cam i don't know when the the, it could just be an animatronic, though. Nah, who knows? Florida's own Bigfoot, uh, the skunk ape, follows similar territory where ape-like cryptids are concerned. Big, hairy, and stinky. This last characteristic, however, is a skunk ape's most defining feature. Witnesses of the creature have likened the smell to that of a skunk, hence its name. But more often than not, it's said to smell rancid or putrid, like rotting food or dead flesh. Ugh. Number 10 is uh, from Georgia, the frozen Bigfoot. Okay. In August of 2008, two men claimed to have discovered the body of a dead Bigfoot-like creature near a northern Georgia forest. Naturally, the whole thing turned out to be a big hoax, but for just a moment, cryptozoologists believed the proof of this urban legend might have finally surfaced. So their, their cryptid is just a hoax. That's Man. Good for you, Georgia. That sucks for them. Uh, we'll share skunk ape with you, I guess, Georgia. <laughs> uh number 11 we have hawaii and of where i was born you know of course it's got to be like basically anytime me and mike are reading articles it's uh listen to how bad we read our uh so maybe you can feel better about yourself but these words are fucked in this article i swear to god it's shit that should menehune yeah it's called the menehune i guess and I, that seems about right but the the, the one from uh delaware the mwahamwa it's like M M W U H A. How the fuck would you s pronounce that? Yeah, I was just going Muwe. That's all I said, just Muwe. Yeah, these were we we were never taught that that made a sound in English class. Sorry. Anyway, Muwe. the me Muwe. the Menahune of Hawaii. These mythical little people who range in height from six inches to two feet are said to be excellent and industrious builders who can construct and engineer structures overnight. Well, sounds great. I'd like to hire the Menehune to, you know, do some improvements on my house. Number 12 is Idaho. Human-like aliens. Okay, okay, Idaho. I can get on board with this one. There have been numerous encounters with humanoid aliens in the Gem State going back as far as the 1950s. In many of these incidents, strange non-human entities were observed either inside their spacecrafts or standing near them. 
The, being, the beings in each individual sighting bore a striking resemblance to one another, with an incident in 1967 being perhaps the closest look at these creatures that was reported. Its face was oval and heavy pitted and creased. Two small round eyes and a straight slit-like mouth completed the facial features. Large ears stood high on the hairless head. There were also a spate of sightings in 2013 in which a human-like figure in which human-like figures wearing either white or black suits were observed in formation near bright shining objects. Wow, sounds like there's a, something interesting is is happening in Idaho for once. It doesn't have to do with potatoes. Almost reminds me of the unsolved mysteries uh segment on the men in black kind of the yeah, to a certain extent. And in at number 13, we have Illinois, uh, the Enfield Horror. A small creature roughly three feet in height with a small body, small arms, and, quote, pink eyes as big as flashlights terrorized a small town of Enfield, Illinois in 1973. The animal was said to have leapt 40 feet in just three bounds. A similar creature was spotted in Mount Vernon, Illinois, 40 miles from Enfield between 1941 and 1943. I'm surprised Unsolved Mysteries didn't talk about the Enfield horror. I think Unsolved Mysteries uh, just kind of as a whole tried to stay away from... Uh, but I mean, it did Mothman. Yeah, so. but I think Mothman, there was just a movie was made about it. And I think it was just almost like so big that they could not talk about it. Holy shit, dude. Are you yeah. seeing to the right of this article, Hollywood's Biggest Boobs? <laughs> no. Oh, I guess we have different ads. <laughs> yes, we I do. I have a nice pair of jugs just staring at me right in the face right now. <laughs> it's very distracting. <laughs> what I have is uh, Drew Carey's face, and that's pretty distracting as that's well. That's not as nice. No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Uh, number 14 is from Indiana, the double-footed being. In 1988, a boy living in Knox, Indiana, observed a UFO in his yard in the middle of the night. He states that a being emerged from the craft and began walking towards his house. The humanoid was described as a bit over five foot tall with normal arms with what appeared to be claws and strange double feet. The being wore a belt and a buckle and appeared to have some type of symbols across its chest. It had a large nose, large square mouth and a huge dark brown eyes. The skin was lizard-like green with scales and wrinkled. Okay, got nothing on that. Uh, number 15, we have Iowa, the grass man. The picture that they have on here, it looks like something from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, first of yeah. all. It looks like he, he's made out of weed or something. Yeah, uh, the ape-like cryptid, not unlike Sasquatch, is mostly associated with Ohio, though he has reportedly made appearances in Iowa as well. He is described as being seven foot tall. What is up with seven foot tall? What is up with that height? <laughs> Weighing 300 pounds and leaving three-toed footprints. Grassman is named so because he is most commonly observed walking through tall grass. Number 16 is from Kansas, and it's the Beeman. The Beeman is said to be a, a kind of hybrid between a Bigfoot and a wolf. Oh, God. That's terrifying. It is kind of terrifying. So, like a werewolf. Really. Though not necessarily a traditional wolfman or werewolf, a were, or were, a were-ape, perhaps? A Beeman hangs out in the forest near Kansas City, meaning he claims dual residency in Kansas and Missouri. That just, that, yeah, it looks like a werewolf, I don't well I guess kind of maybe the other parts of it are Bigfoot like the feet and like the hands but the face is a wolf 
Up next, we're moving on to Kentucky Fucky Fucky. We got the Kelly Hobsonville Goblin. Um, whether a hallucination spurred by too much moonshine, a Randy Owl attack, or a genuine encounter <laughs> with alien beings, we may never know. Regardless, the Kelly Hopskinville incident in which a pair of families was terrorized over a 24-hour period by goblin or gremlin-like creatures in metallic clothing that could float is one of the craziest cryptozoological stories. Holy shit! I need to I need to read need to read about the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin case. Yeah, that that's unfortunate for them. A, it, it just sounds like the alien was just being fucking annoying. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh great. Mm, do you have any peanut butter? Mm, <laughs> I'm not leaving until I get some peanut butter. Louisiana. Is up next, at number 18, the Rougarou. Uh, the beast roams the greater New Orleans area and is said to be a variation of the werewolf myth, although the Rougarou, I don't know if I've said the same, this name that, right, or Rougarou, the Rougarou. Rougarou, it's French. Ruby, Ruby, of Has the head of a wolf. His body is said to be human. Among other origin tales, the... Rougarou is believed to hunt down and devour any Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. You think maybe that Rougarou could take out some of those priests? Never mind. Let's not go there, Josh. Let's not go there. Okay? There's a lot of Catholic listeners, and they might not appreciate that. So Maine's cryptid is the Argo Pelter. A creature similar to Sasquatch, only more the size of a chimp. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maine, can you do anything cool besides your weather? Oh, hey, oh. Argo Pelter's most distinctive feature are his arms, which are like muscular whiplashes. <laughs> what? With which Argo Pelter can snap off dead branches and hurl them through the air like shells from a six-inch oh, gun. Oh, okay. Shit. I, get, I want to see that thing in action now. Actually, now that I look, I thought he, was, I thought it was like a Sasquatch in this picture, like carrying a harp. But now that I look at <laughs> it, all, it is his, uh, his. He's got like, cap, like Captain Fantastic arms, and like all Mister Fantastic. Wait, there you go. They're all like stretchy and S shaped, <laughs> plastic ape. Okay, this next one you're about to read off. I have seen this fucking thumbnail on YouTube. Every time I, t- I type in unsolved yeah. anything, this stupid picture of this goat man comes up and it's got like five bajillion views and it pisses me off because it's so clickbaity so number 20 is maryland and it's the goat man mark open op opsa opsa sonic mark opsa i know it's damn it mike and josh's shitty reading hour brought to you by mark by reading rainbow Reading Rainbow. We didn't Mark watch Ops- the show, apparently. <laughs> Mark Opsasanic, there we go, a folklore investigator, breaks down the three primary origin stories behind the Goat Man. Number one is that they described a creature that was half man, half animal, walking on two feet. The other aspect of the legend was that it was a mad scientist, a scientist who worked in the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center, who was experimenting on goats, and the experiment went astray, and he started attacking cars with an axe. This sounds like the plot for a B-movie. 
And there is a film called Night of the Goat Man, I think, that has a similar plot like this. And SNL had like, there was like a SNL skit where there's like this goat boy or this goat oh, guy, yeah. goat that man was, uh, or something. Oh, what's his face? Uh, the guy who always looks stoned. That was like one of his. Jim pop- Brewer. Yeah, Jim Brewer. That was one of his popular characters. Maybe people in Maryland saw that skit and were like, oh, goat man. So he'd start attacking cars with an axe. He'd attack anyone who would roam the back roads of the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. If it's a goat man, why is he attacking with a fucking axe? He has horns on his head. Because he's pissed. I don't. <laughs> he's pissed that he's a goat man. <laughs> the third aspect of the legend was that it was just an old hermit who retreated to the woods and would be seen walking alone at night on Fletcher Town Road. And when anyone would come around, he'd just run away. Well, that's just sad. <laughs> Another area is the goat man is known as the Pope Lick Monster. Oh, that kind of ties in with the last one I was talking about. And a woman actually lost her life looking for this iteration of the beast because she was struck by an oncoming train and fell off a bridge to her death. So the Rougarou is killing people for not observing Lent, and the uh, then there's a goat man who's, who's also known as the Pope Lick Monster. Seems like they can form some kind of a weird kinky society there if they wanted to. Uh, in at 21, we have uh, Massachusetts. Uh, my mom's side of the family's from there. We have the Dova Demon. It's a Dova, Dova <laughs> Demon kid. Gotta watch out for that. Uh, the Dova Demon is described as standing four feet tall with no nose, no mouth, its face mostly consumed by large orange glowing eyes and its tendril-like fingers growing from its hands and feet. He made one appearance in Dover, Massachusetts in April 1977, though it is speculated the demon may have also terrorized the gentleman in 1914. (laughs) I love that. It's great. Absolutely fantastic accent there, Josh. Thank you. (laughs) Number 22 is Michigan, uh, where my dad lives now. Uh, And... uh, their cryptid is the Dogman. Allison Hudson of Skeptoy describes the Michigan Dogman, a creature not unlike the framed Rougarou, Rougarou of Louisiana. In the countries of counties of northern countries, the countries of northern Michigan, in the counties in northern Michigan, folks tell tales of strange creatures stalking the night. At first, most who encounter the Dogman <clears throat> think it is just Excuse a me. large black. Holy Sorry. shit! A little hiccup there. Did you see the Dover demon out your... Uh, you'll nev- you'll never know. I'm keeping suspense for the listeners. At first, most who encounter it thinks it's just a large black dog, but then the beast rears up on its hind legs and reveals its true nature. A seven-foot-tall bipedal What's monstrosity up with, the with the head of a canine. Shit. Surprisingly blue eyes and the torso of a man. It lets out an unearthly howl that sounds almost like a human scream, sending all but most stalwart of witnesses fleeing in fear. Boring. <laughs> I love that. All right, up next, uh, 23, we have uh, Minnesota. We have the Iceman. Actually, Unsolved Mysteries covered this, and we uh, I watched the Iceman segment recently. I, I We talked about it. Uh, so, mm-hmm. again, this one needs no introduction for the devoted Unsolved Mysteries fans out here. The Minnesota Iceman first. The Minnesota Iceman first surfaced in 1968, where he was supposedly discovered by Ivan Sanderson, Dr. Bernard Hovelman's and uh, touted as the missing link between ape and human. 
The Iceman began making the circus and fair rounds with exhibitor Frank Hansen charging a quarter per person to view the monstrosity. After disappearing from view for several years, the Iceman found a new home in 2013 at the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas. <laughs> Just nailing it with these Minnesota! <laughs> Number 24 is from Mississippi. It's the man oh, bat. Oh, not to be confused with Batman. It is the man bat. Or, or the Batman character man bat. There actually is a villain named Oh, Man-Bat. really? Okay, I didn't know it's that. It's a scientist who messed around with something and turned himself into a half-man, half-bat hybrid. Man, DC Comics, you guys just never run out of... Uh, that well never runs dry of ideas. A personal account from 1991 details one teenager's encounter with the half-man, half-bat-like creature in the small town of Mantachi. The beast at first looked like a man in a long black cloak, but later he took on more of a bat-like form, complete with glowing red eyes. He, was he also seven feet he, tall? We don't know. He looks know. like he's doing some kind of like ballerina pirouette in, in this Interpretive picture. dance. Yeah. He's doing an interpretive like dance. He's got like Yanni's chariots of fire going on in the background <laughs> <laughs> as he's twirling about doing his clies and chutes. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. All right. For Missouri. Some people call it Missouri. People from Missouri. Missouri. Why do you say it Missouri? There's no A at the end of that. <laughs> anyway, the uh, creature is called Momo. Several encounters with Momo, short for the Missouri Monster, were reported between 1971 and 1972. Momo is said to have a large pumpkin-shaped head and a body-slash-face completely covered in fur. He also apparently makes unpleasant growling or gurgling noises and emits a far more unpleasant odor. This thing looks like, uh... Looks like Cousin It from Adam's Family if it had arms and it... It looks like Slash. Yes, there you go. It looks like it looks like <laughs> Slash. Perfect. <laughs> Number 26 is uh, Montana, yep. and their cryptid is the Grave. Pretty sure that's not just Montana, but okay, we'll let you have that, Montana. It began in June 1959 and lasted 20 days. A wave of sightings, stalkings, and abduction attempts by the famed Grays, which are the most commonly recognized form of extraterrestrial beings out there. The length of time... Of these visitations is strange, considering the greys typically reveal themselves only a few times. But this is not the first encounter with aliens in Big Sky count Country. County. Country. Reports of... Oh, okay. Country. Big, this Reports is Big of the visitations. Country. Reports of the visitations go back as far as 1932 and persisted both before and long after the encounter described above. As such, Montana is considered a hotbed of alien activity, and the state has experienced everything from crop circles to cattle mutilation. I didn't know that about Montana. I didn't either. It's probably one of the only things interesting about it now. Why am I shitting on Montana? In at number 27, we have uh, the, the, the wonderful state that I often forget that is even a U.S. state, uh, the state of Nebraska. And Hey, that's where my stepdad, you know, was born and... Well, that's cool. But yeah, it doesn't really matter, doesn't jog, I guess, because Nebraska isn't really. Yeah, yeah Nebraska is like, one of the when most. When do you hear about Nebraska forgotten. ever? You know? A college football team? I don't know anything about that. The Cornhuskers? What is football, even? <laughs> anyway, their cryptid is the Phantom Kangaroo. Um, okay. <laughs> There's no fucking way, but all right. Uh, while, <laughs> while some sightings of kangaroos around the nation have likely been escaped zoo animals or pets, descriptions of giant kangaroos not unlike the prehistoric 
Prokop Tabadon, whatever, <laughs> appearing in the Midwest suggests something far more uncanny. In 1958, Charles Wetzel observed a, such a creature on his land in by the Plat, Plate River near Grand Island, Nebraska. The beast, whose head more resembled that of a deer, was chasing his dogs. But when Wetzel approached the animal, it sprinted away in incredible 10-foot leaps. Number 28 is from Nevada. It's uh, Penelope. Oh, that's sweet. Penelope is a, long, a thin, long-armed, and long-legged woman described as having witch or zombie-like appearance with long, light-colored hair. She haunts the Sierra Nevada area and is said to emit a high-piercing, high, uh, high, high-pitched, piercing scream. Locals do not know why the woman's name is Penelope, nor do they have any idea about her origin. Okay, I take back my comment about that sounding sweet. I'm now kind of terrified. The next one looks like a fucking person. The pervert. next one really? we have. <laughs> the next one we have the person, the, the, basically the, the boyfriend of the lady who called in the bad meth to cops. That's basically what this guy <laughs> is. <laughs> or pervert. Somebody just. He looks like pervert. He's watching you. Uh, in 29, we have. He's the basis of the uh, Sting song. Basis? Every breath you take. Oh, okay. That's the police, by the way. He's, he's, sing, he's singing the. Every breath you take, song. Uh, at twenty-nine, New Hampshire. We had wood. We have wood devils, another Sasquatch-like creature, only described as very skinny and covered in gray fur. It's a crackhead. The the wood devils <laughs> also <laughs> also appear to be pack animals, often appearing in groups as opposed to single creature sightings typical of most Bigfoot encounters. Yeah, come on, it's just a pack of crackheads. Yeah, we have those in Jacksonville. That's not special to New Hampshire. Number 30 is the New Jersey That's Devil. That's a pretty infamous one. From Pinelands Preservation Alliance, designated in 1938 as the country's only state demon, the Jersey Devil is described as a kangaroo-like creature with the face of a horse, the head of a dog, bat-like wings, a horns, horns, and a tail. For more than 250 years, this mysterious creature is said to prowl through the marshes of southern New Jersey and emerge periodically to rampage through towns and cities. The creature's origin is even more compelling. It is said a local woman, distressed over her 13th pregnancy, cried out that she hoped the baby was the devil. And so, when the child was born, the Jersey Devil emerged instead of a normal baby. Oh, it screeched a horrible scream and then fled into the swamp where it would prowl and terrorize for the rest of time. You know, people, I want to believe in this shit, but when, you, when I hear stories about that, it's like, you know. Can you just imagine that, like that happening like you're 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 the husband there and you're waiting for the baby to be born in the delivery room and then it's that speaking of the pine lands uh one of our listeners from new jersey was telling me a little bit about the pine lands and apparently this is like deep redneck inbred shitty ass just an awful part of new jersey is is kind of how it was told to me so apparently the pine lands is like no like no man's land. No man's land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in at number thirty one, we have uh, the state of New Mexico. It's a uh, Springheeled Jack, and he looks like a very flamboyant green goblin uh, hopping a fence here. <laughs> uh, though predominantly an English urban legend, Springheeled Jack was made appearances all over the world, even showing up in Silver City, New Mexico, in nineteen thirty eight. Sometimes described as having devilish aspects, other times described as a tall, thin gentleman. Uh, Springheeled Jack is universally recognized for his ability to leap through the air and travel long distances by jumping. 
So he is a overly intoxicated hipster uh, <laughs> who has a very with superpowers, very deliberate facial hair configuration from this picture, um, or a uh, a runoff uh, juggalo of some kind. I'm not sure. <laughs> juggalo man. Uh, he he leaps buildings in a, in a single bound. Number 32 is uh, New York, and their cryptid is the Cardiff Giant. Later proven to be a hoax, the Cardiff Giant, discovered near Cardiff, New York, held the nation's imagination for a period of time as it purported to prove statements made in the Bible that giants once walked the earth. But no such archaeological bombshell was ever discovered. The giant was only made of gypsum. And these people are a bunch of fucking idiots, because when you look at this picture, it doesn't look like it's an actual corpse of any kind whatsoever it clearly looks like something carved out of stuff yeah you can see how like there's no space between the arm or the legs it's all like one piece of thing that was carved into something dumb ass uh in at number 33 we have north carolina moon-eyed people Ooh, they look like a bunch of no eye no eyes mannequins like a kabuki mask of a white woman's face basically is what it is uh, these beings are dwarf-like and have large round eyes, hence their name. They are believed to build house-like mounds in the woods, which serve as shelter for moon-eyed, the moon-eyed people, as well as sources of great power and energy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Number 34 is uh, North Dakota, and their monster is the Mini Washutu. Dude, what awesome 80s horror movie did they get this screenshot from? Raw Head Rex. Really? You already knew that? Yes. You're such a movie nerd. How would you know that? It's also listed in the description. Oh. Well, it kind of shuts me up a little <laughs> but bit. But no, I, I didn't even have to read that to know it was from Raw Head Rex. It's getting a Blu-ray release soon. Remastered in 4K. Oh my god. And I think there was something where, like, they pissed on the monster, or the monster pissed on them or something. I remember, like, pee being involved in that movie. Somebody got peed on. You want to tell <laughs> us a little bit about this mini-wash? Wash it, too? The, the, the mini-washitu? Uh, from Cryptids, also known as the Water Monster of Missouri River. It is a terrifying hairy beast that supposedly travels the Missouri River in central North Dakota. The mini-washitu is seven to eight feet tall has tough bison-like hide and fur, has a single eye and a single bison horn set above the eye, elk-like hooves, human hands, and a jagged and spiny backbone, much like a chupacabras. The description of this creature sounds very similar to Rawhead Rex, a massive demon creature from the Clive Barker film adaptation of the same name. Is that a good movie, Mike? Would you recommend it? Eh, I don't know. You have to be in the right mood for it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, probably my favorite cryptid and picture from this entire list so far uh, oh, this is so cute. It is. It's adorable. It's fucking adorable. It's ner number 35, Ohio, Loveland Frogmen. Half man, half frog. All terror. Well, not exactly terror. In the two encounters reported with the Loveland Frogmen, so named for their appearances in Loveland, Ohio, the creatures did not seem particularly antagonistic. In 1955, a group of frogmen approached a local citizen on the road, prompting him to run to the police. Naturally, they were nowhere to be found by the time the men came back with the authorities. However, in 1972, a police officer did get to see the legendary animal. As it approached him, just as the frogman had done nearly 20 years earlier, the officer opened fire, of course. Something weird! Kill it! 
He did not hit the frogmen, and the creature escaped. No other sightings have been reported since. He probably did hit it, and it died. Dude, how many more states do we have? Like, what, 14? <laughs> yeah. Let's finish this next podcast, because I'm fucking starving. <laughs> so we left off at Ohio. <laughs> we'll get to your state, Mike, next time. Well, we already did. We got to one of my states. We got to two of the states already, so yeah. All right, so, uh, yeah, thank you for listening, folks. For more me and Mike, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, Mike's channel is uh, youtube.com slash OCP Communications. Uh, he does movie reviews and many other things, but he's mainly a movie guy, does movie stuff. You should check it out. He gets very passionate about the movies he talks about. Uh, if you want to check me out on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. That's multiple ghosts, not one ghost, many ghosts. Uh, I do vlogs, I review CDs, I view, review video games. Um, latest one I had done is, uh, well, there was the Phil Collins one. I don't know, just go check out the channel. I'm not going to do all the work for you. You do some dingus. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all the plugs and everything. Uh, this is a lengthy podcast coming in at two, two yep. hours here and four minutes. <laughs> um, so until next week, I hope you guys all have a good rest of your day or night and uh, stay safe. Why am I saying all this shit right now? I'm, I'm delusional. I'm <laughs> fucking hungry. Uh, bye. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, if you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. Uh, music is sold online or go to bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. After talking about the Frank Olson incident with the LSD and uh, kind of the government conspiracy going on there, it reminded me of a poem by Allen Ginsberg called Had to Be Playing on the Jukebox. Uh, I first heard this song or this poem when it was performed by Rage Against the Machine, uh, one of their live shows. I'd like to recite it now. It's just something different. Bear with me. It had to be flashing like the Daily Double. It had to be playing on TV. It had to be loudmouthed on the comedy hour. It had to be announced over loudspeakers. The CIA and mafia are in cahoots. It had to be said in old ladies' language. It had to be said in American headlines. Kennedy stretched and smiled and got double-crossed by low-life goons and agents. Rich bankers with criminal connections. Dope pushers and CIA working with dope pushers from Cuba, working with a big-time syndicate from Tampa, Florida. And it had to be said with a big mouth. It had to be moaned over factory foghorns. It had to be chattered on car radio news broadcasts. It had to be screamed in the kitchen. It had to be yelled in the basement where uncles were fighting. It had to be howled on the streets by newsboys to bus conductors. It had to be foghorned into New York Harbor. It had to echo onto hard hats. It had to turn up the volume in university ballrooms. It had to be written in library books, footnoted. 
It had to be in the headlines of the times and the mind. It had to be barked on TV. It had to be heard in alleys through ballroom doors. It had to be played on wire services. It had to be bells ringing. Comedians stopped dead in the middle of a joke in Las Vegas. It had to be FBI Chief J. Edgar Hoover and Frank Costello syndicate mouthpiece meeting in Central Park, New York weekends, reported Time Magazine. It had to be the mafia and the CIA together starting war on Cuba, Bay of Pigs and poison assassination headlines. It had to be dope cops in the mafia who sold all their heroin in America. It had to be the FBI and organized crime working together in cahoots against the commies. It had to be ringing on multinational cash registers, worldwide laundry for organized criminal money. It had to be the CIA and the mafia and the FBI together. They were bigger than Nixon. They were bigger than the war. It had to be a large room full of murder. It had to be a mounted ass, a solid mass of rage, a red hot pen, a scream in the back of the throat. It had to be a kid that can breathe. It had to be in Rockefeller's mouth. It had to be central intelligence, the family, all of this, the agency mafia. It had to be organized crime. One big set of gangs working together in cahoots. Hitmen, murderers everywhere. The secret, the drunk, the brutal, the dirty rich. On top of a slag heap of prisons, industrial cancer, plutonium smog, garbage cities, grandma's bed saw from father's resentment. It had to be the rulers. They wanted law and order and they got rich on wanting protection for the status quo. They wanted junkies. They wanted Attica. They wanted Kent State. They wanted war in Indochina. It had to be the CIA and the mafia and the FBI, multinational capitalist strong arm squads, private detective agencies for the rich, and their armies and navies and the Air Force bombing planes. It had to be capitalism, the vortex of all this rage, this competition, man to man, the horse's head in a capitalist bed, the Cuban turf. It rumbles in hitmen and gang wars across oceans. Bombing Cambodia settled the score when Soviet pilots manned Egyptian fighter planes. Chile's red democracy bumped off with White House pots and pans. A warning to Mediterranean governments. The secret police have been embraced for decades. The NKPD and CIA keep each other's secrets. The OGBU and DIA never hit their own. The KGB and the FBI are one mind. Brute force and full of money. Brute force worldwide and full of money. Brute force, worldwide, and full of money. It had to be rich and it had to be powerful. They had to murder in Indonesia 500,000. They had to murder in Indochina 2 million. They had to murder in Czechoslovakia. They had to murder in Chile. They had to murder in Russia. And they had to murder in America.